Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've been with us over the last 16 weeks, we have been working our way through the most famous sermon ever preached, and that is Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And so today, we have reached his conclusion. So six weeks la- 16 weeks later, we have reached Jesus's conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you would, grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. Matthew 7, 15 through 29. So before we read our concluding text today, I want to summarize for you everything that Jesus teaches us in his conclusion. So the first thing you have to do is you have to look at this tree right here. So everybody turn and look at this tree. Alright? Healthy, mature, flourishing tree. And so in his conclusion, Jesus is going to use two metaphors that are very simple. And the first one that he uses is that of a healthy tree. And what Jesus does is he sums up everything we've learned in 16 weeks by telling us this. If you will hear and do his teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, you will be just like this healthy tree. Flourishing, fruitful, able to endure the storms and trials of life, And most importantly, Jesus says here in his conclusion that if you will hear and do his teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, you will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the second metaphor that Jesus uses in his conclusion, it teaches us the exact same point, but he uses a different illustration. And the second illustration that he uses is that of a wise builder. So in this second example... Jesus again says, if you will hear and do my teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, you will be like a wise builder. And a wise builder is one who builds their lives upon the teachings of Christ. And like the healthy tree, they're flourishing, they're fruitful, they're able to endure the storms and the trials of life. And most importantly, Those who hear and do the teachings of Christ from the Sermon on the Mount are the ones who enter the kingdom of heaven. So, if you don't remember anything else today, remember this one point. The healthy tree and the wise builder are the ones who hear and do the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. So, now we're ready to read our text. So, Matthew 7... 15 to 29. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to gather in the midst of your creation and worship you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us uh, these teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, these truly are the way to life. They are the narrow path that leads us to you, that leads us to an eternity with you. And Lord, we thank you that they have been recorded and written down, that we may worship around them and learn them and hear them and do them. And Lord, we confess that uh, though we have it readily available to us, uh, we often fall short of the things that you've taught us. So Lord, we thank you that you're merciful to us. We thank you that you're long-suffering. We thank you that you're gracious. And Lord, we thank you that you uh, mercies the, the mercies that you give us are new every morning. Lord, we pray for those this morning who couldn't be with us because of sickness. Lord, we pray that you would be especially merciful to them. Lord, we pray for their healing. And Lord, we pray that they would feel your presence this morning uh, where they are. We pray for Pastor Jonathan and Precious. As they travel, Lord, we ask that you would be uh, merciful to them and gracious and, and keep them safe and bring them back to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So probably the most consistent theme in the Sermon on the Mount is the theme of wholehearted devotion. So wholehearted devotion is seen when who we are on the inside matches who we are on the outside. So Jesus consistently teaches us through the whole Sermon on the Mount that we must be internally and externally consistent in character and in righteousness. And so it's no surprise that Jesus concludes his sermon with verse 15 in this familiar warning. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So let's not complicate false prophets. We have the tendency to hear that and we start looking around. But think about false prophets in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And the point that we see that Jesus is making 
is that false prophets are false simply because they are inconsistent on who they are on the outside and who they are on the inside. So we read it here, this false prophet appears as a righteous sheep, but we learn that he is, in fact, a ravenous wolf. So false prophets are just simply not wholehearted in their devotion to Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount has taught us that any of us can be this false prophet, just like any of us can be the religious scribe or Pharisee or religious hypocrite that we see all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. For example, if we profess Christ, and if we hate our brother in our heart, we are a false prophet. We are delivering a false message with who we are in our hearts. And so Jesus' solution to not being this false prophet, we see in the conclusion, it is hearing and doing the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. So if we will follow this way, that Jesus prescribes, we will naturally become the wholehearted disciples that he is looking for. And so in our concluding text, the most important message, the most pressing message, is that the difference between hearing and doing and hearing and not doing is who will and who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is, in the heaven, who is in heaven. So what is the Father's will? It is that we would heed the teachings of His Son. Amen? And verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So if the kingdom of heaven is our goal, then hearing and doing the teachings of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is our mission. So here's how I would like to conclude our sermon series. I want to kind of zoom back out, and I want to take an overhead view of the Sermon on the Mount. Because we see Jesus in his conclusion, he's just pointing us back to everything that he had already taught in the body of his sermon. And so as a conclusion, then we too will look back and reflect on the major characteristics of a healthy tree and a wise builder. So if you look at your handout, you can see the title there, Four Characteristics of a Healthy Tree and a Wise Builder. So if becoming healthy trees and wise builders comes through hearing and doing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, then this short list of characteristics helps condense his teachings and helps us to assess how we're doing. So you can take that handout, you can look at it. These are the major themes, the major thesis statements from the Sermon on the Mount. And then you can look at it, you can read the Sermon on the Mount, and you can go down through there and you can gauge, how am I doing? Am I growing like this healthy tree? Am I building like a wise builder? So that's the purpose of this outline. So, the first characteristic of a healthy tree and a wise builder is that they possess kingdom of heaven characteristics. They possess kingdom of heaven characteristics. So I want to try to illustrate this point for you so that it's easier to see. So think with me for a second. Every culture has an ideal, okay? And then every culture is made up of individuals who embody certain characteristics that help the culture 
achieve its ideal. So it doesn't matter what culture, American culture, I'm going to use that as an example, but every culture has an ideal and then characteristics that you need to embody to participate in that ideal. So think about an American culture. What is our ideal? Well, we see it in the Declaration of Independence. Our ideal is that every person can pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So then what would we expect to find along the path towards working towards this ideal is we would expect to find citizens who embody the same characteristics. Independence, equality, justice, liberty, people who value free education, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, etc. And so when these cultural characteristics are embodied on a whole, then we work towards establishing the ideal. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount the ideal. So our ideal is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus teaches us the characteristics that we need to embody to participate in the kingdom of heaven now and the characteristics that we need to embody to participate in the kingdom of heaven to come. And so the kingdom of heaven characteristics that we must embody are the Beatitudes. So flip back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 2 through 12. And as we read these characteristics of a healthy tree and a wise builder, ask yourself, do these characteristics describe me? The Sermon on the Mount has been compared to a wisdom psalm or a proverb. And so it's meant to be meditated upon. It's meant to be thought about. It's meant to be returned to time and time again. And to examine ourselves in light of these teachings. So we're going to read through the Beatitudes again. And I want you to just think, do these describe me? So Matthew 5, 2-12. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington says this of the Beatitudes. Jesus is offering and inviting his hearers into the way of being in the world that will result in their true and full flourishing now and in the age to come. So these Beatitudes are necessarily the primary character traits of a healthy tree and a wise builder. The Beatitudes are the fertile soil in which healthy trees grow, and they're the solid foundation upon which wise builders build. 
So why does Jesus want us to embody these specific characteristics? Well, number one, He loves us, and He knows that these are the characteristics that will help us grow the strongest and build with the most solid foundation because they are Christ-like characteristics. And so He knows they are for our good always. And so, remember though that we never embody these characteristics fully and all at once in this life. It's always a growth process. It's always a building process. We don't wake up one day and embody the Beatitudes perfectly. It's a process that involves faith and repentance and growth and sanctification. So if I can leave you just remembering one thing today, it's that these Beatitudes... We need to return to them time and time again and examine our lives in light of them and see if we are living them out. And so if we go through these Beatitudes and we don't like what we find, what do we do? Well, it's very simple. We repent and we change. We remember that Jesus is gracious and He's just to forgive us and that He gives us His Spirit to help conform us into His image. And so we often forget what Jesus taught right before the Sermon on the Mount. And it was in Matthew 4.17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we always come to Christ, not in our own efforts, but through faith and repentance and relying on His grace and His Spirit and His Word to change us and to grow us. So that leads us to our second characteristic. If you have your hand out, you can look there. And this is probably the thesis statement of the Sermon on the Mount. So the second characteristic of a healthy tree and a wise builder is that they possess exceeding righteousness. So look at Matthew 5.20. Matthew 5.20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's a pretty bold statement. If our righteousness does not exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, then the kingdom of heaven is not our destination. So we should ask the question, what then is an exceeding righteousness? Is it something that we want to possess? It's an important characteristic. An exceeding righteousness is very simple. An exceeding righteousness is a righteousness that is first internal and then lived out externally. A person who possesses an exceeding righteousness has come to Christ through faith and repentance in His work on the cross, and then continues that life of obedience to His teachings. So in exceeding righteousness, it's unlike the false prophet in our text today. It's unlike the scribes, it's unlike the Pharisees, it's un unlike the religious hypocrites that we read about in the Sermon on the Mount. They all appeared righteous on the outside, but inwardly their hearts were far from Christ. They did not possess exceeding righteousness. This is why I stapled my notes together. I knew the wind was coming. So, listen to how Jesus describes those who do not possess an exceeding righteousness. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. It's in Matthew 23. And his woes that he pronounces against the scribes and the Pharisees. He says in Matthew 23, 25, 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. And in verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So the false prophet and the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious hypocrites, they are the diseased trees and the foolish builders that Jesus is talking about in this conclusion. They're not internally and externally consistent in character and righteousness. So if that was the contrast, then let me show you what a good picture of exceeding righteousness looks like. And the best picture is found in the great commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Moses shows us the nature of an exceeding righteousness. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So do you see the order and nature of an exceeding righteousness? It began in the heart and then works its way outward like concentric circles into all of your life. So the diseased trees and the foolish builders, they read the text backwards. They begin on the outside and never work to the inside. So Jesus restores the order for us. And we see it in the text of the Sermon on the Mount, just after Matthew 5.20, where he tells us we need to have an exceeding righteousness. He then gives us six examples of what an exceeding righteousness looks like. And he takes six commandments, and he shows how we properly keep his teaching, first in the heart and then outwardly. And the two must necessarily go together. So healthy trees and wise builders, they don't just not murder, they also don't hate their brother in their heart. Healthy trees and wise builders, they don't just not commit adultery, they don't lust after their neighbor in their heart. So there has to be this internal and external consistency. And so that leads us to the next characteristic of a healthy tree and a wise builder. Number three, it's very similar to number two. It's almost, we could say, the opposite side of the same coin. Number three, a healthy tree and a wise builder must be perfect as their Father in heaven is perfect. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus summarizes everything that he has taught up to this point, And he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. One of my favorite things about the Sermon on the Mount is that nothing that Jesus teaches us here is necessarily new. Jesus is consistently 
taking us back to the heart of Scripture's original intent. For example, the Beatitudes, we had seen them already in the prophets. We had seen them in the lives of the righteous men and women through redemptive history. The expectation of an exceeding righteousness, we had already seen that in the great commandment of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And now, the call to perfection is simply a summary statement that the disciples of the Lord, as always, must be wholehearted in their devotion. And so this admonition of Jesus takes us all the way back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So there's two parallels to Matthew 5.48. When Pastor Jonathan taught on that, he was here actually. He pointed these out to us, but I'm going to point them out again. The first parallel to this is in Leviticus 19.2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. And the second is in Deuteronomy 18.13. You shall be blameless as the Lord your God. So we must be holy, we must be blameless, and we must be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. So what is Jesus teaching us? What is Moses teaching us? Is it perfection impossible? Yes, but if you remember, Pastor Jonathan taught us that Jesus is not teaching moral, sinless perfection. He is teaching us wholehearted devotion. So to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect is to be wholehearted in your devotion. Wholeness teaches internal and external consistency. So listen to how James in James 1.17 describes our Father in heaven. James says that in our Father in heaven There is no variation or shadow due to change. So what does that tell us? It's telling us that our Father in heaven is consistent throughout His being. He has no division. He has no parts. He's perfect in His essence and His actions. He is wholehearted. So that, in that sense is how we should imitate our Father in heaven. So a healthy tree can't be rotten on the inside producing good fruit on the outside. Nor can a wise builder be building something substantial on sand. Again, Deuteronomy helps to give us a great picture of wholehearted devotion. In Deuteronomy 12, 12, Moses teaches us, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. So again, let me encourage you that perfection, just like everything else, is not something that we obtain all at once. It is a process of sanctification. So we come to Christ through faith repentance and then like this tree started out as just a seed that's how we start out and we grow and grow and grow into more and more of a likeness of Christ so our fourth characteristic of a healthy tree and a wise builder 
the healthy trees and wise builders practice their righteousness righteously. Matthew 6, 1. Jesus teaches us, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when we're consistent in character, when we're wholehearted in our devotion, that's seen in our singular motivation, that is to bring glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so, as we conclude this series, um, I hope that these characteristics are helpful in kind of seeing the overall picture of what Jesus is pointing us to. Um, he teaches a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's something that we just have to keep coming back to time and time again. And hopefully this outline, this overview, can help you assess where you're at. You know, where are you at in your growth process? Where are you at in hearing and doing the teachings of Christ from the Sermon on the Mount? Um, and so I would encourage you to not leave the sermon series and to leave the Sermon on the Mount behind, but to continue in your growth, continue in your meditation on it, and continue examining your own life and questioning yourself, where, I, where am I in light of what Christ has taught us? And so, uh, I'm going to conclude, and I'm going to also pray and bless the food, and then we can all just go fellowship together. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time that we got to look at your word. And Lord, we ask that you would bless our fellowship. And Lord, we ask that um, as we examine our lives against your word, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to see where we need to change and you would give us grace to make that change. And Lord, we thank you for all the good teaching that we've had over the six, last 16 weeks from lots of different brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord, this has been a blessing, uh, this series. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us to continue in this way and bless this food and our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.